0: Big sky, big potential. This is Eastern Promise. Welcome to episode 67 of Eastern Promise, the podcast that explores the full potential of the East of England and then squeezes all that goodness into fresh and funky sound waves that reverberate around the world. Our creative industries are jewels in the East of England's crown. None more so than our gaming sector. From big studios in Cambridge to indie producers in Norwich and Haverhill. Yet creativity is the easy bit. Turning an idea into an investable proposition is harder. But help is at hand and Sam Burton of the University of East Anglia and Robin Milton the fairer games are here to tell us more. And finally, Nelson, Payne, Cavill, and Captain Mannering all have been turned into statues. But which are your favourite monuments to the great and good? It's time for another Crowd Sorcery. Entrepreneurs start with a great idea, because, well, a great idea is a great starting point. And then the ball gets rolling, interest and excitement build. Your product is coming together. But what next? For many starting out in the creative industries, myself included, your enthusiasm and your bank balance can only carry you so far. You'll need to know how to find financing, whether seeking investment is even right for your business, and if so, when. You'll also need a pitch deck, which, apparently, is not a nautical term. Help, though, is at hand. The Create Growth programme is a £1.275 million investment readiness and business support programme for creative industries in Norfolk, Suffolk, Cambridgeshire and Peterborough. The programme offers expert advice and guidance to help businesses with high-growth aspirations gain those investment opportunities. I wanted to know more about the scheme, so I sat down with the University of East Anglia's Sam Burton, also of Creative East, and a member of the Create Growth programme's current cohort, friend of the show, founder of Fairer Games, Robin Milton. Enterprise Centre. It's a glorious day outside. It's at the, I think it's the largest passive house, commercial passive house building uh, uh, in, in, in certainly... In Europe. In Europe, it says Sam Burton, who is brilliantly injecting there in Europe. I was, I was going smaller. I'm glad you said that because I would have said England. But it's, it's in Europe. Thank goodness. Sam Burton of the UEA. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, having Guest you. number one to talk about Creative East and the fantastic programme for uh, the East of England that you're running. And we're going to come to that in a minute after we've greeted our other guest, who is now wincing in anticipation, <laughs> Robin Milton of Fairer Games, who is a stalwart, if I may put it that way, of the gaming scene and really a representation of how forward-thinking and creative the, uh, the gaming sector in, in Norwich is. Welcome, both of you, to Eastern Promise. Thank you so much for being here. Sam... I hear that there's been quite the uh, confusion about exactly how the uh, Create Growth Fund that the government has set up is manifesting itself in the regions and nations. So could you sort of help specify exactly what Creative East does? Because that's who you are. That's who you're representing here today.
1: Yes. So DCMS put out a call across the whole of England for regions to bid for funding to run business development, um, business support and investment readiness uh, programs for the creative industries. Um, We're looking at creative industries, businesses that are at um, growth stage. So not too early stage, not too late stage, but kind of in the middle. Um, And uh, the overarching sort of name of that program was called Create Growth. And um, we bid for that. We were—I uh, I don't entirely know how many actually bid for it—but we were at a shortlist of nineteen at one point, just for six. So we were really, uh, you know, lucky in the east to have a program like this, because the competition was pretty fierce. Um, Innovate UK are the uh, uh, the kind of managing—they're the, yes, they're the managing body of all of the uh, programs across. Uh, England, and there are programs in Leicestershire, um, sort of Cornwall, Silly Isles, that area, um, South East, Essex. Um, and uh, they have also launched something called the Create Growth Fund. Um, so the Create Growth Fund is a fund for creative industries businesses that are in the geographies of the Create Growth programs so if you're outside of one of those places so if you're based in uh, london for example where there isn't a create growth uh, business support program you cannot apply for this funding so businesses in the east so that's norfolk suffolk cambridgeshire and peterborough which is our programs geography can apply for that fund but we're not managing the fund innovate uk are managing the fund so applications go to innovate uk they put out a call as innovate uk typically do with all their funding so a call comes out you can apply if you're in the geography but you don't have to either be on our program or be in discussion with us at all because it's a separate fund but under the umbrella of right. the same program across so, the whole of england i think
0: thank you for that and <laughs> frankly if so nobody please Contact Sam no. to say where's my money. Please don't, because you're not a you're not going to get it, and B it's not Sam's uh, bailiwick at all. But you say you were very lucky. Frankly, my experience of working in the East of England, looking at the creative industries here, I say your inclusion was a no-brainer. But what does Creative East do? And we've got Robin here, who's a, p- a part of your your cohort, yes. and we're going to come. to 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 you in a minute robin so you tell us your experience of being part of the creative east program but sam what is it you do
1: so the creative east program is as i said a sort of very generic business terms and i'll get into the bones of it but an investment readiness program a business support program for businesses in the creative sector in Norfolk, Suffolk, Cambridgeshire and Peterborough who are at growth stage. So um, we're looking for businesses who've made a bit of money or at a certain point with their product or service who are now looking at a bit of a crossroads where how do they grow? Um, the focus is getting ready to take on investment, although the end goal isn't necessarily everybody gets investment, everybody is going to take that path. Um, it's a series of masterclasses, seminars, seminars, one-to-one advisor support and specialist mental support for those businesses to sort of explore what their next stage is going to be so they learn about how to pitch for investment what investment actually means how do you value your company what does a cap table look like um what does shares mean and how giving away the company has a has an impact on your relationships with your shareholders and having a board and um ip strategies marketing strategies uh, you know all aspects of what you need if you're going to go out to an investor to have in order and to understand so that that opportunity is there for you.
0: That sounds fascinating. I, you know, I'm sitting here listening thinking I could really use that. So um, asking for a friend, what do you, you sort of said made a bit of money. <laughs> what, if, sorry, what, what does that actually mean? In devs, I know you're going to say you've made some money, but it, it does it have to be a sort of you've made X amount of money. You've got accounts for the first year. Um, you know, you, you are op- operating as a profit. What does that mean?
1: So we have guidelines from DCMS that are across the entire program across the whole of England. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are able to slightly flex on some of those if the company hits all the... So so if there's one of those, they're not quite hitting to the maximum amount, but they hit all the other criteria, and we can talk to the company and find a rationale for that, then we can slightly flex on it, which sounds a bit loosey-goosey, but, I mean, it's a bit spidey sense from us in a way. (laughs) So the the criteria are um, you need to be in the geography, you need to have the equivalent of two employees, and that can be made up of freelancers, it can be the founders, um, it can be a bunch of uh, part-time staff that make up the equivalent of that. Um, That's one we want to flex on a bit more because, we, you know, we – we had a talk the other day from from Debbie Gray from Genesius Pictures who made good luck to you, Leo Grand. She has just her and a couple of other people at some point and then 60 people at some point in the year. So, you know, if you aggregate her employees across the year, it would definitely over, right. you know, over the target. She's not one of our target companies because she's at a certain level. But, you know, production companies, as an example, do flex and change in terms of their employees across the period of a year, for example. Um, And there has to be, the company has to turn, have some turnover. So it doesn't necessarily have to be in profit, but they have to turn over something. So not, Zero, essentially. Um, And they have to have the correct legal structure in order to take on investment. So you cannot be a CIC, you can't be a Mm -hmm. charity, you can't be limited by guarantee because you cannot take on investment under that legal structure. So learning about investment would be interesting. But when you... you know We're going to have investors in the room at some point. If Robin pitches to an investor and her company wasn't the right structure and an investor says, I'd love to talk to you more about investment and Robin says... Well, actually, I'm a charity. That's sort of pointless. Yes, indeed. You know, so so that we're trying to foster those relationships with investors, so they really need to be able to take on investment. Otherwise, it's it, it's not relevant.
0: Yeah, I want to ask you so many questions just just because of my. Uh I have an audio production company alongside Eastern Promise, which is a CIC, which is obviously, as as you say, not eligible. But anyway, we're not here to talk about what I'm up to. We're here... We're going to bring in, at this point, who's part of the first of four cohorts. Yes. Which are, I believe, and Sam will stop me if I get this wrong, the current cohort that's currently running in Norwich, the next cohort will be in Ipswich, the third cohort is Peterborough, the fourth cohort is Cambridge. Spot on. (laughs) Way. Do your research, kids. Um... Robin, you have been part of this cohort. Now, just just quickly before we go on to your experience, just talk yep. through fairer Games. Anyone who wants to know more about the fairer Games story can find out on the Eastern Promise feed, which was uh, one of those great interviews where I actually don't care all that much. If anyone else listened, I had a whale of time. Aww. But um, tell us more about fairer Games, and then if you could tell us about your experience as being part of this cohort kind of from the beginning when you first saw the, uh, ooh, this looks good.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I will guess I'll just start off by saying that... Um... I'm very passionate about the local games industry in Norfolk. I've been helping run Norfolk Game Developers for over eight years now. Um, I started Faro Games in 2022 um, as a kind of response to something I have been very focused on, which is diversity in the games industry. I obviously am a woman who works in the games industry and I want to see a more diverse workforce. But there also is an issue around content. There are not. there's not enough uh, diverse representation in games content itself. So I founded Ferry Games to hopefully move that needle, albeit potentially small, in a small way, um, towards us having better representation and better role models in games. Um, so we're currently working on our first game, which is called Brewess. I can talk about it now because it's hey. been announced. We, <laughs> I know, I know. Before so it was a little bit hush-hush when we were talking about it. Um, but we announced as part of the London Games Festival, which has just finished, uh, we were part of the official selection for the festival. So that went really well. And I've completely forgotten the question you asked me. That's OK. I was I'm, in so pitch mode. Thinking, so,
0: so, listener, you can tell from all that that <laughs> Robin has has obviously some skills and is a is a huge part of, of the, the, the really vibrant, thriving gaming scene, uh, the indie gaming scene here in Norwich. But so... That's what Fairer Games is. Mm. And I've dropped your name into a conversation several times. Once here in this building with Chudatsi, who were a a film production company focusing on the same kind of issues you are. Oh, amazing. Um, And they said, oh, we're working with game designers. I said, oh, it must be Robbie Milton. And they went, (laughs) no, but she sounds great. Um, So tell us about how you got involved in the the Norwich cohort, Mm. which is the first of the four. How that's gone and your experiences up to now and what you feel you've got out of it.
2: Yeah, so I was really excited when I found out that there was um, going to be a program in Norfolk and specifically looking at creative businesses. Um, something that I uh, spend a lot of time talking about with other game developers is the fact that it really, um, even if you are independent or maybe you've been working on something in your own time, so it feels more like a hobby, it could be a potentially really viable business if you know how to, you know, assess what you're doing, think about scope, and think about market you could make a really successful games company. And obviously I want more of those. Um, so I was really keen to see that we had something locally that was focused on creatives to help them understand their potential, what they, where they could take their businesses. And obviously all of us want um, business growth so that you can you know, expand your impact, bring on more people to your team, have greater reach. So for me, being involved with the program is great because... It's kind of reinforcing some of the things that um, I've built over the last year, but also it's helping me really understand from an investor's perspective how they would view my business, which is was a big missing piece of the puzzle. Um, I have never been in the position to kind of be on the other side of the table, so I'm always going to be thinking about my passion for the art of games and like <laughs> you know the the people we can inspire or whatever but that's not necessarily a kind of a basis for a business case so being able to hear from people that are from that side of things in an environment that's very friendly and welcoming and kind of a safe space for those discussions is great. Because it can feel very vulnerable when you're pitching your business to someone asking for support or finance, even understanding how much money you would ask for, what you actually need um, the so ways valuable. to do that is it can be very uncomfortable as well. You know, if you're it not used to talking about money, no, I, <laughs> we I, are I, very British and we don't always kind of do that. So this program is already just helping me feel more comfortable having those conversations. They so say, no, there is value in my business. There's real value in what I'm doing. And I am potentially offering someone the opportunity to get involved in what I'm doing, as opposed to thinking that I'm sort of a you know, struggling artist hoping for some help. It's like, no, actually there is a market for what I'm doing. There is a use case. And yeah, I'm just really excited to see where that can go.
0: If I could just ask you first, Sam, and then I'll come back to Robin to ask her to describe her experience of starting in each class. What's the broad sort of mix of those? Is, is, is it kind of one, one in person, then one online? Or is it kind of more hodgepodge, if I can put it crudely?
1: so it's a 12-week program of in-person masterclasses. we're mm-hmm. doing them weekly and we've got breaks in the summer in the school holidays so yeah. we're not doing it in half term and that kind of stuff because you know we've got parents in the room who won't be able to attend and you know we want to include everybody um and those sessions are a morning session um, where we have an expert speaker come. So yesterday we had our pitching session. So we had in the morning um, Simon Hopkins from Angel Academy, which is a big angel group down in London, um, do a session on pitching, what to do, what not to do, what to include in your um, pitch deck and, and uh he went off on lots of tangents about things he'd experiences he'd had where people had pitched certain things and it was really good because he sees hundreds and hundreds of pitches so he's speaking from experience as an investor as to kind of say absolutely don't do this because investors don't like it or so that's amazing and then in the afternoon we did um we did some sort of how to communicate your pitch so not just the content of it but like what do you do with your hands? How do you prepare yourself? Really? Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. So um, we had a, a guy called John Torrance. He's, a, he's actually from, worked in the gaming industry for a long time and, and now does a lot of communication work. And um, he used to be a stand-up comedian and stuff. He was awesome, wasn't he, Robin? He was just, his vibe was amazing. And we got each of the companies to stand up and do a two-minute pitch. And they didn't know they were going to do it. And it was a bit scary. <laughs> but actually, I think... Chucking people out of their comfort zone in a really I hope Robin agrees, in a really safe, friendly space where the feedback was critical friend. Everyone wasn't going, everything you did was amazing. People were like, that was amazing. Have you thought about adding this in? Or maybe if you did this, that would yeah, we so know more though. about your business. Yeah. So so that that was kind of what we did yesterday. So So each week we do a specialist session in the morning and then in the afternoon it's focused on pitching. So moving forward now, Robin has just brilliantly volunteered for next week (laughs) um, to do a 10-minute pitch. So stand up in front of the group, do a 10-minute pitch on the business as if you're pitching for investment and everyone gives feedback. And the great thing about that is that sometimes, because you're in your business, you'll pitch your business and then someone will say, what do you actually do because you never really mentioned it and people just sort of forget i mean it's a weird yes. thing to say but because they know it so well they'll maybe accidentally leave out a key piece of information and the audience are like i got everything you were saying except what you do you know yeah. the team's great the market's What's your interesting name? yeah yeah and it's 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 interesting how that happens
0: yeah it's, it's it that is a fascinating point and i think what you say sounds about throwing people in the deep end and giving them no warning on the one hand sounds cruel but on the other more importantly it gives people it doesn't give people a chance to back out because they would miss something hugely valuable and uh, you know you'd, you'd you'd miss all that opportunity and the chance to grow your business get the information you need to grow your business and uh, and and robin when you're faced with that and you're you're and and I can fully empathize with this because To what extent are you sort of going up there, and in the back of your mind, you're going, "No, my baby, do not judge my baby." Um, What I
2: I went first, so. Were you you like me, me, or were you like? No, no, I was picked at random. Oh no! But to be honest, I kind of I was happy going first. Um, But I think I think something that John did really well because I was thinking about this. For those of you that may not have heard anything else about me, um, I do have a background in teaching um, and I have taught pitching for my students before. And um, something I think John did really well was because he was there in the morning, he had kind of developed a bit of a trust with the members of the um, cohort across the day. So by the time we hit the afternoon and then you are in a very vulnerable position, then suddenly on the spot in front of everyone pitching, I feel like it was, um, the atmosphere was right. Whereas if you just, you know, walk in from nowhere, you don't know this person, whatever, you haven't had a chance to chat to them over lunch or whatever, it can feel much more like you are being kind of judged as opposed to being supported. Um, So I... I went first. I think it was all right. I was quite quick. It was 40 seconds, but I wasn't quite sure how much we should add. And it's funny you said that you get through a pitch and then you realise you haven't mentioned what you do. I did realise, as you were saying that, I didn't say what my game is about. <laughs> <laughs> so I will just quickly say... Oh, go for it. Please do. That, that brewess um, is a game set in medieval Norwich. Um, you play as an alewife, so a woman brewer, um, and the game is a narrative adventure. So that's our little kind of spiel. Our tagline is, Crafting ales and building friendships which will hopefully give a sense of what the experience is like.
0: So wh- where, where will people be able to get Brewers and so when you- is it released?
2: You can currently wishlist it on Steam. Anyone who's interested, please do that because that does have a kind of sense of currency when we're talking to people about our business and also about the game. Um, so if we can show that there's interest, um, that's always great. We could say like, oh, we've got this many people that are interested in purchasing the game on Steam. Um, and then where the game ends up after that is a bit of a question mark at the moment. But um, yeah, it's Steam initially because it's it's the it's easiest Steam. kind of... Well, it's the easiest self-publication platform. Yeah. So if we're not working with a publisher when we come to release the game, it's just kind of safeguarding that, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pitching was good. The, I felt all right about it just because I have thrown myself into hundreds of situations where I have to talk about myself and my business over the last four to five months. So I feel like I've been kind of exposure therapy approach to this. But it does mean that I'm not so scared when someone says, oh, like tell me who you are and why you're here or what you're doing. And um, yeah, and talking about games sometimes can... It, it used to be quite nerve-wracking for me. We spoke a bit about it before, that some people's reactions can be quite um, extreme. When you talk about the fact that you work in the games industry, I have had people say, oh, you're the reason my child doesn't leave their bedroom because they're playing Minecraft for 12 hours. And you did know, you respond you are welcome <laughs> no because uh i'm more tactful than that oh <laughs> when shame speaking to parents you said um during lockdown that would be much. yeah <laughs> yeah yes. but you just you just don't know what the response is going to be so i think that also helped me a little bit which so i was just like i just need to be able to talk to people about what i'm doing in a way that isn't going to set alarm bells off in my head yeah um i still get you know the adrenaline and a bit of the nerves, and don't ask me what I said five minutes later because I can't tell you. Um, but I I try to approach it like I'm sharing something that I'm yeah. really excited about, as opposed to lecturing someone on what I'm doing. But it doesn't sound like
0: that at all, and that really comes across that that energy and that enthusiasm, which which is great. And uh, as someone who has kind of been, you funny you mentioned stand up comedy because having done a bit of stand up comedy. Uh, you do get thrown in the deep end, and it is is nerve wracking. And, and when I actually very close up, to teaching, I went think. up <laughs> went up to perform. I actually backed off the stage. Yeah, you know, I took too many steps backwards and 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 went off. Which I which I'm told by those there, I styled out, but Physical me quality. and style are not are, yeah. are, are, are not, uh, are not uh, usual uh, usually uh, working together like that. But um, and the other thing you describe about the system of, of, sort of building trust is really interesting because it sounds exactly like uh, I did hostile media training. Oh, okay. Um, because of my previous life in politics, so I was trained how to deal with a hostile media interview. But the way they did that was uh, the guy built trust throughout the morning, exactly as you said. So in the afternoon, you were you you didn't basically just break down in tears. why are you shouting at me, um, Sam? Talking about dealing with with these things, how do you, pre- you to to a certain extent you said you can't prepare people for them because you don't want to lose their participation by them just big terror of public speaking and I'm never going to do this. To what extent do you prepare people for that for experience uh, in, in a way that doesn't put the fear of God
1: into them? So pitching. Yeah. So, well, yesterday was a deliberate uh, act of cruelty on our part to say just no, stand I up that. for two minutes. Uh, moving forward, the pitching process is um, going to be uh, a, a a practiced thing they'll volunteer they will know when they're doing it they'll have lots of time to do it they'll work with their advisors so there are three of us that advise the businesses on the program and we work individually with the businesses so we will be going through their pitch deck with them we'll be getting them to practice to us Um, it's a very supportive environment and then they will stand up with the group each week on the afternoon session at the masterclasses and and do their 10-minute pitch in that supportive environment so uh is a re- it's really interesting because yesterday one of our participants literally was sitting next to me going i'm not doing it i can't do it i'm not doing it i can't do it and i was saying you you can do it you stood up last week and said who you were and what company you were from it's just a bit of an extension of that these are all people you've spent time with and you've eaten sandwiches with and you've had a coffee with and you've been in a room with um and she just was like i can't i can't like can't. up until the point She was saying to her advisor, I can't. And her advisor, Beth, was saying, it's fine. You can do it. Um, And John said, up you come. And she went up. And she was brilliant. You would never know that she was nervous. She said everything. We knew exactly what she did. We knew what the business did. We knew what direction they were going in. She was very detailed to time, concise, didn't have any, you know, you would never know she was nervous. And that I think that's, you know, that was John's point, was people are like, ah, I can't do it. And then they do it and they're absolutely fine. They may feel on the inside that they're having a nightmare. But externally, she looked polished, professional, not nervous in any way. And the only reason I knew she was nervous is because she'd basically been sitting next to me going, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. It was amazing. It was really interesting.
0: They say it's introverts, actually, that make the the best stand-up comedians, and when you get them off stage, they're like, OK, thank you very much. Um,
2: that's what John said he was. He said he yeah, was. Yeah, he said well. he was. you just shift
0: you? into a whole other persona, frame of mind, but that's... You talked about moving on to a 10-minute pitch, and before I just come on to that, because to me, 10 minutes sounds like it's nothing when you talk about it here, and up there, it's eternity. Um, just a bit of sort of glossary corner. Uh, go all Susie Dent for a minute. And... Um, For those who might not know, not saying that's me, you talk about a pitch deck. Could you uh, perhaps ask you and then Robin to just sort of give your views on what what, what a pitch deck is and what constitutes a good pitch deck? Uh, So what's a pitch deck?
1: So a pitch deck is the, uh, I guess, document that you use in order to deliver your pitch. So it most likely is um a PowerPoint presentation, but it could be PDF or another method by which you would deliver it. Um, and it has uh people do it in different ways. We're quite uh we kind of guide on on our program how, how to sort of formulate formulate that um sort of the order of that when you stand up in front of investors, you have your PowerPoint presentation on a screen, you use it as a prompt and essentially it covers uh who you are what problem you're solving so it, in the case of robin it's a game that addresses the issue of lack of diversity in the gaming industry both in terms of content and those making the game um and um and who the team is you know what are their credentials why would an investor give that team investment why are you the right one to be doing this and it's very evident that robin is the right person to be doing this um you know so that would be in her deck um you know who she is who her team is why um who the market is. So who are your competitors? Is there anyone else doing it? There are other people making games, but probably not that many making games in the same uh, sort of arena in terms of the diversity. So that's your USP. Um, but there's always competition. That's something we learned yesterday. Saying there's absolutely no one doing anything vaguely similar is not true because other games exist. That's your competition. They're not the same, but they exist. Um, and, um, and kind of you know, what, what you're asking for, how much money you're asking for and what you're going to do with it.
0: So, Robin, when you sat down to cre- curate, create, put together your pitch deck mm. for the first time, how did you address those issues? And um, sort of how, just give us some information about it. How long is it? What do you What do you put in it? And, and how has that sort of evolved as time's gone on?
2: Yeah, so I think... One of the key things is that you've got to be really comfortable with the content of your pitch deck Mm. because you are working kind of uh, in tandem with that as you're communicating to someone about your business. The pitch deck really should be something that you feel comfortable going through when you're talking about things. It's just going to support and back up what you're saying. Um, I probably had 10 versions of the pitch deck Throughout the process, because there'll be things that you think, oh, I should probably add that in. And then later you think, actually, that's probably too much information. They don't care about that. I care about that. But in this 10 minute window, I could probably leave that out. And so I think it's really important if you're going to develop a pitch deck for your business, like do give yourself time. Don't try to kind of like speed run it and think, oh, I'll just chuck everything just, in. Uh, and or speak faster. You know, yeah. You know, really think about, really value the time of the person that you're speaking to about your business and approach it that way. So think, is it valuable for them to hear about me and my experience in the industry? Probably yes, but I'm not going to spend all my time just talking about me. Is it valuable to give a sense of the, um, the context that my business is in? So the um, competitors Yes, but do I need to talk about the storyline of our main competitor's game? No you know? so no. it's thinking it's thinking about where you kind of draw the line on how much information you provide, but for me, I almost needed to have everything there so I could then start kind of whittling it down and really thinking about you know the order you know should I what's going to be the most impressive? opener (laughs) you know first stand up you know what is the most what is the thing that's going to draw people in how can i win people over really quickly so that the rest of the information is you know rose tinted by that good first impression all of that stuff
0: so for you what was that just just i'm just really interested
2: yeah so for us is the artwork because um, it is
0: spectacular
2: thank you so dwin dalton good who's the artist on the game um her background is traditional illustration she hadn't worked on a game prior to working on Bruess.
0: was she the lady who was in the room when we had the interview
2: um yes. 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 The lady who um, does the maps. Yeah, no. So No,
0: no. yes. <laughs> Maybe.
2: God, this is the yeah. Right, so yes. Dwynne was in the room at the time. I think Dwynne had done one piece of artwork for the game when we originally had our interview. That's how far we've come since it's we first spoke. Climbing. It's it's insane. Um but yes, Duane, traditional artist background, had been doing some kind of medieval watercolour illustrations. And I was working in the same art space as her and kind of leaned over and was like, that's really cool. I happen to be pitching a medieval game for potential funding. Um, Would you would you want to work on a game? Because it's a very different artistic process and creating, you know, images and assets. And there's a lot of repetition and you really have to think about making things efficiently. And when you're an illustrator, it's just all about, you know, how it looks. You don't have to necessarily worry about your process as much. So it definitely has been a kind of transition period. But, um, yeah, for us, it was all artwork. So my first three slides, so you've got the kind of hero slide, which is the artwork that you'll see on a lot of our marketing, um, which is of the Brues. Um, And then after that, we basically have two slides, which are cut into kind of three, where it's three images, all Dwyn's artwork, showcasing the um, gameplay experience and then the wider game world. And I cover that in two slides and then I can go into more detail if people are interested in it. Um, But it allows me to make sure I get out. Like you say, you hit the key points first. (laughs) Um, But as I was kind of saying to Sam earlier, the pitch deck that I've been working on very much was for publishers and looking at pitching the game. So I need to be able to kind of step back a bit further now, re-look at my slides and think, okay, now I'm pitching the business. The game is obviously one part of that, but it's very much listed as one of our products rather than the main focus of what I'm talking about. So I think if I was approaching it from the business side, maybe the artwork still because it is so kind of captivating. Um, But I also really like our branding for Games, so probably kick off with that and... um, yeah, just, I think visuals is a big thing. Obviously, yeah. I'm an artist, but...
1: One of the things you, you said in your pitch yesterday, which was a stat about oh, yes. the percentage of female game
2: players, so, which is 40... 46%, 46% of global percent. game players are women.
0: We, we talked about that, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Varies, uh, and we went through the favoured games choices globally, because it varies, and we went, had had we played those <laughs> games and had you played those games? But, yeah sam once a cohort has reached the end of the course because i know, i know we 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 we're, 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 we're going to start running up against uh, uh, the clock in a minute but once a cohort's reached the end of the get, of the course where will they be in terms of investment readiness we've discussed but i you you, you were saying earlier uh, i can't remember this is probably pre-recording that it may be that they decide but that method just isn't for them and they need to look at another route. So what are they going to be equipped to do by the end of the course, do you hope?
1: So the the programme, uh, the whole programme runs until March 2025. So one of the things I did want to get across I haven't quite said yet is that, that uh, there's one-to-one mentoring from a pool of specialist mentors. And that is at, available to any participant on the programme for the whole duration of the programme. Everyone gets a sort of, notional budget of how much they can spend with mentors obviously um, because we you know we don't have an infinite amount of money but we um, are hoping that businesses will access that because there is the taught part of the programme and the seminars are very bespoke as well. We've deliberately not programmed in more than two so far because we're responding to the needs of the cohort. We've already had some great ideas around what we can put into those seminar slots. So each cohort will get their own sort of bespoke experience alongside the the main thread of the taught stuff through the mentoring and through the seminars. Um, so we hope that what people will come out of it uh, with is knowing whether or not investment is right for them now it might be that it's right for them in a year's time in which case if robin decides in a year t- a year's time she actually wants to revisit talking to an investor on the mentor pool around you know how to get her cap table in order or whatever then she can come back and do that because we're a cohort member is a cohort member until well probably for the end of time i'm still talking to businesses from 2018 on our previous (laughs) program um because that's sort of the support we offer but you know if it's that they come out of it and say actually investment isn't for me because you've taught me about investment and that isn't the right route for my business that's also great and hopefully they'll come out of it having made contacts there's you know, there's massive synergies between the companies, we're hoping. Maybe there's some partnerships that might form some projects that might come out of it. You know, that that's the, the cohort thing for us is so important because people in a room who are creative are going to come up with interesting ideas yes. and things to do together yes. or, you know, supporting each other in that. So we, you know, I think what we want is for people to come out of it hopefully a bit clearer about whether investment is the right route for them. Some of them will come out of it having met investors and that relationship will form. We're not formally, we're not you know, regulated to be able to kind of say you should invest in this and this is a good investment because that's not our role. But our role is to introduce those people so that they can continue those conversations outside of the programme. And if an investor comes along, meets Robin, another participant and says, I really want to have some further conversations. That's a massive win for us.
0: So uh, just to nip quickly back into uh, glossary corner, cap table.
1: Oh, yeah. So a capitalization table. So a cap ah. table is a table of who your shareholders are, what percentage of the business they own, because how many shares they've bought against the valuation yeah. of the business. Yeah.
0: Right. Thanks very much. Well, I'm going to go away, I think. And with my other hat on, my, my Pricecroft hat on, look at... Whether I qualify Are you going to for be the next, me
2: up later?
0: I'm, I'm, I may ping you <laughs> off a quick email. I don't really do phone calls because that's a whole other thing.
2: Mike, uh, can I add some bits just on the end? Oh, of course you can. I, go for I it. I could sense that you were finishing, and I was like, oh, I need to get these in. Get it in. Go so, go go go. Obviously, the, the program at the moment is for people that are looking to grow their businesses. If you are earlier than that, or if you're considering starting a games business, um, I do just want to plug two um, routes that you can take. So, the Prince's Trust is someone that I've been working with with my business, and they do offer free business support. They've got something called the Enterprise Program, it's specifically for young people. So, you can get in onto their programs if you're under 30, which I was just on the cusp of oh, well, as I applied. That's that. Um, And then if you're um, someone who is uh, from a marginalized gender or from like a diverse background and you're looking and are interested in working in the games industry, at the moment, there's something called the Limit Break Mentorship Program. It is open for applications. Um, I don't know the deadline date, but I know it's open at the moment. So anyone who is looking for mentorship, which is also free, um, from someone who rep like reflect them in terms of diversity. It's a fantastic programme. Do look it up.
0: Sam, Robin, thank you ever so much for being on Eastern Promise today. It's been really interesting knowing about the scheme. It sounds really, a really important thing to be doing. The East of England is such a rich, diverse, creative place. And it's really great that the UEA is working on the Creative East programme, driving that forward, helping those creative businesses like Robin's, although I'm sure Robin, you know, will, be, will reach... Uh, reach brilliance, um, anyway. But um, thank you. I, I think that was a, that was a compliment. I hope that came across as a compliment. It was yeah. meant as a compliment.
2: No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure <laughs> Just to Just reach
1: to...
0: brilliance. I know. <laughs> reach brilliance uh, or, yep. or better. Yeah. Um, okay. Where was I? Thank you ever so much for being on Eastern Promise today. We look forward to seeing uh, the students who come off the cohort uh, go on to really great things and really sort of plant plant the flag of the East of England in in whatever their chosen uh, creative sphere is. But thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to know that programmes like these are available, and I liked what I heard so much. I immediately sat down and submitted my expression of interest. And you can do the same by visiting creativeeast.org.uk, scrolling down a short way and clicking on the big magenta button marked Expression of Interest. And now. In Thetford, Thomas Paine's golden statue is the King of Bling, whilst Captain Mannering waits canal side to pronounce any photo hunters a stupid boy. In Norwich, Nelson has a statue considerably closer to the ground than its capital city counterpart, and the bust of the father of the East of England's railways, Sir Samuel Morton Pito proudly surveys the concourse of Norwich Station from his spot atop the entrance. But what statue, monument or memorial speaks to you? Uh, not literally, of course. That would be freaky. Let's find out in this week's... Crowd Sorcery be a special guest, the wonderful Harriet Fear MBE, Director of Cambridge And and Chair of Cambridge Ahead who has a surprising statue-related claim to fame. Hi Mike! One of my lovely friends is the sculptor of the Captain Mannering in Thetford. Ooh! The muse was my next-door neighbour Tony. Yes, really! Sean also did Bobby Robson, Alf Ramsey, James Harriet, and many more. And Gracie Fields in Rotherham is wearing my vintage dress and shoes. That's Harriet's vintage dress and shoes. I wouldn't let them have mine. Sean would be a great podcast. Agreeing with that is author and consultant Kevin Keeble, who adds, That's a great idea. And and why not Lawrence Edwards? Some very impressive work. It's superb. He also has Yoxman and the New Head on Lowestoft Beach, amongst others in this region. We've been to two pourings at his foundry. Quite extraordinary. Kevin kindly provides a picture of the Chathonic Head in all its beach-bound glory. I feel a fantastic idea for a podcast coming on and rest assured, Harriet and Kevin have already been taken up on their very kind offers. Meanwhile, not quite going Dutch, is Tim Robinson, Chief Operating Officer at Tech East, who says, The Family of Man by Barbara Hepworth, currently on loan to the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam, but usually gracefully positioned around the back of Snape Maltings overlooking the reeds. Uh, Do they count? Tim, the golden rule for crowd sorcery... Crowd sorcery. Thank you. ...is that if you say it counts, then it counts. Tom Abbott of sustainable consultancy Green Easy honours one of Norfolk's heroes of yesteryear and also someone who is very much with us. Says Tom, need to have a think, but Nelson in Norwich Cathedral Close is up there. Modern day living legends may be the sustainability champion Saul Humphrey. Why wait until someone's deceased before celebrating their achievements with a public statue or plaque? Well, I think that's a splendid idea, Tom. Though Saul Humphrey, managing partner of Saul D. Humphrey LLP, Certified B Corp, Professor at Anglia Ruskin, Chair of Institute of Directors Norfolk, and Chair of New Anglia LEP's Building Growth Group, disagrees slightly. Tom, says he, is being too generous by far. Saul, not so. However... Saul so rightly adds that we can and must all do more on the sustainability piece. However, I want to give the last word to Andrew Stronach, Head of External Relations at the Quadrum Institute. Andrew says Every time I go through Liverpool Street Station, I pass by the Kinder Transport statue, a salutary reminder of our region's role as a place of sanctuary over the years. Absolutely, Andrew. That statue will be very well known to many of us travelling to and from London, passing through our region's hub in the capital. Andrew rightly calls it a reminder that when others need help, we should do all we can, if only because one day we may need such help ourselves, and only grace has so far kept us from harm. And on that deep and thoughtful note, it only remains for me to thank Sam Burton and robin milton for taking us through the create growth program to all my crowd sorcerers and to engineer 49 who has taken his camper van on the highways and byways of britain for a quick getaway he is a man of enigma and mystery so from whom he's trying to get away i do not know i have been mike rigby and will be again next week when i hope to bring you the very best of the royal norfolk show 2023 i will be at the show both days so please do stop me if you want to be part of the eastern promise action until then stay safe be excellent to each other and enjoy the sunshine responsibly bye for now you can contact Eastern Promise and find out more about what we do by visiting our website, easternpromise.org.uk. Eastern Promise is a Pryor's Croft production on behalf of the Eastern Promise East Anglia Community Interest Company.